Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I am Joe Galena. Acknowledge me. And we're back. Scott Chu and I, we haven't been together for a while. Scott, how's it going? It's going good. I, I still got I still got two babies. Uh still <laughs> still dealing with uh with two newborns. Uh, make it through my wife and I both got five hours of sleep last night, like consecutive consecutively. So I'm as fresh as I've ever been. I've, I, I feel like it's, it's almost like I was at a spa for like 24 hours, just getting the five hours consecutively life changing. Congratulations on your new family. Happy mother's day uh, to your wife. And uh, yeah, we are recording this on May the 14th, about 1230 Eastern time. So um, what's been going on? I tell you, you know, your your Tigers have been doing pretty well. Somehow, I mean, so this is, it's actually something that's relevant for fantasy baseball in general is you'll notice throughout the season that for like two or three week stretches, you'll see players or teams just look absolutely abysmal. And then all of a sudden they'll look really good. And you have to remember, especially early in the season, that neither is true right? Mm. Tigers are not as good as they've looked for their last, you know, 15 games. And they're not as bad as they were to the start of the season where they looked like they should be in double a, not even triple a. It was like a double a team that they looked like. So, um, it's, it's a bit of a roller coaster, which is harder to endure when you know, your team's not going to the playoffs, but, uh, no, it it's, it's fun to see, especially guys like Riley Green starting string together games with hits, hitting some doubles, like just doing some of those things. Because when you're watching a rebuilding team, be it fantasy or reality, you're you're just looking for the positives. You're looking for things to build on. Torkelson and Green looking better. Javi Baez being really weird and like having this plate discipline with some results because he had some better no. days plate discipline last season, but no results. Now we're seeing a little bit of both. So some interesting things going on, but like, it, it's just nice to know that there, there was some light at the end of the horribly dark tunnel that we saw in April. Yeah. And uh, Akil Badu keeping his head uh, above water as well. And uh, kudos to you because uh, you had talked about how uh, Spencer Torkelson was hitting into some bad luck and uh, looks like his, his luck has changed and uh, he's putting up some good numbers like you, you mentioned. And, uh, you know, it's kind of weird because, you know, a couple of years ago, it looked like the Tigers were, you know, turning the corner and then we were expecting, you know, bigger things from them in the 2022 season. Uh, but they kind of took a step back and now it looks like they're moving in the right direction again. It's bit by bit. You know, they still have a lot of pitching woes, except for Eduardo Rodriguez, apparently, oh who missed gosh, last yeah. season, who basically like, you know, pulled like a UNS Cespedes and like disappeared for a little while last season. No one could find him. And then he had mental health issues. But apparently he's over those because he is pitching lights out Um, again, probably not this good forever. But knowing that he has this kind of potential, I mean, we're going to talk about you know, players that you're looking at short-term versus long-term. The one thing you can take away from some of these stretches, especially when it's more than just one or two starts, is just knowing that this potential is within a player. We talked about Boba Chet last season, who looked kind of average for really three quarters of the season. And then for a season turns it on and is basically the best hitter, like pretty much the best hitter in baseball for, you know, a good month and a half, two months. And that's one of the reasons that we tell you to stick with these guys, right? Because like he has this upside, he it does not take a long time for a player like that to turn it around. The Jazz Chisholms, the you know maybe Teoscar Hernandez, maybe not. We talked about that a bit last episode. There's yep. these guys that can just turn it on and be be really good, and you have you have to give them a chance to do that because you're going to be really kicking yourself if you held on to them for all the bad parts, cut them. Two weeks later, they're doing good, and you get none of that back. Right, right. Uh, you mentioned last week's episode. Kudos to you and Chad Young. Uh, thanks uh, to Chad to, to filling in uh, for me. And you did a great job hosting, by the way. I've never missed you more in my life. I uh, <laughs> was just fumbling all over myself, like had to re-record the opening. Uh, editing was just like, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I basically just had to pull up episodes you've like gone through. and be like, all right, I'm copying that. All right. That's, <laughs> oh, so that's how I do that. Uh, doing all that stuff. So I, I am glad you're back. Um, I am, I'm a talking head and, and not much more. No, no, you did a great job, uh, um, and I did listen to the whole thing, which was was great. It you know, made my commute uh, a lot easier. So, um, how's the baseball season treating you? I mean, obviously, you know, we've all been living with these new rules. You know, the pitch clock, the limiting the number of uh, pickoff attempts that the pitcher can make. I mean, it did a very unscientific. Uh, search on my part, but it looks like stolen bases. I saw that they're up like almost 40%, maybe even a little bit more. Home runs are up 15%, 
around there. How is that uh, affecting your in-season strategy? Yeah, so a couple of things. Number one, um, one thing I was right about was the change to the shift has not changed much. Um, teams are still finding ways to limit uh, dead pull hitters if they hit ground balls. Uh, they're still making little pseudo shifts, things like that. So, you know, that that part never really made the noise. I think that a lot of people thought it was going to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the stolen bases. So so that's the part that I've been really trying to get a handle on and that I've been trying to, like, understand as much as possible. And I think the one thing I'm I'm really sort of understanding about stolen bases is that it it is as i expected really focused on certain teams so i mean stolen bases are up across the board don't get me wrong but we're seeing teams that were already being targeted a lot for stolen bases like the dodgers now it's just in overdrive right teams have already stolen or like people have already stolen 47 bases against the dodgers hmm. right the dodgers are a team that you know people like to steal against they know that the uh, the both the pitching staff and the battery, uh, they're just not always quick to the plate. So they're going right at them hardcore. Same for like the White Sox. The White Sox have been a team in the last few seasons who have just struggled to stop running games and teams have stolen 46 bases against them, right? They are running and running and running. And then other teams are just not seeing that kind of impact against them, right? Very few teams are running against the Rockies, the Orioles, the Diamondbacks have... 13 stolen bases allowed and 12 caught stealing, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, Mm -hmm. you can change the rules all you want. If you're good at cutting down runners, teams are just not going to do it, right? Right. There's only been 25 stolen base attempts against the Diamondbacks, only 21 against the Tigers. And, again, remember what I said about the Dodgers? 47 stolen bases already, 54 attempted, right? So, it is a little lopsided. Again, up across the board, but it's really lopsided, and I think that's the thing that we all should really be paying attention to. Not only is speed easier to find, it's much easier to stream now. You need mm. a stolen base, go grab a fast guy against the Dodgers. Any of right. them, right? They, they might run, right? Have, have, like, we're not even 50 games into the season. We have 47 stolen bases against the Dodgers. There's right. more than a stolen base a game against the Los Angeles Dodgers, right? So, like, that's how you, like, that to me is how I'm going to take advantage of this. I'm going to stream because it's out there. There's stolen base, you know, again, there's three teams who have already given up 40 stolen bases. Right. Mm-hmm. 41 from the Guardians, the 46 from the White Sox, 47 from the Dodgers. There's also almost half the league is above 30. Right. But there yeah. is a big drop off. There's like those. There's like really there's a couple of teams that are up at like, you know, the athletics have 37, but they've also cut down a lot of runners. The Pirates have given up a lot of stolen bases, 36. They've only caught six, which, by the way, is the other number to look at. How many? How many stolen bases, like how many people are being cut down when they try to steal, right? Because when you see that a team is allowing 75 to 80% stolen bases, uh, you know teams are going to keep running, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Like the Rays have only caught three, but they've only had 25 total stolen base opportunities, like only attempts against them. But so when you see those high percentages, you know that teams are going to keep doing it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really focused. It's certain teams that are allowing it. And then of course, Lots of players taking advantage of it. And then, of course, like the Asturi Ruizes of the world, they're seeing sure. now we're, we're not going to see Ricky Henderson's again, the 100 stolen bases, but we are going to see more players who I think can get to that 30, 40, maybe, you know, there might be multiple players who get to 50, right? We mm-hmm. haven't had that yep. in ages, right? right. We, yep. we don't even usually see one player get to 50. I think that, you know, there, some of those top end guys are going to do it. But also the last thing I'll say is it also sort of, devalue stolen bases in a sense in Roto because Roto, the big thing about stolen base value is that it was all about scarcity, right? The problem was stolen bases are so valuable because you can't get them. Now you can, right? And it's not quite equal across the board. So it actually sort of, it it makes it so that like, oh, the fact that he steals five bases doesn't matter to me as much because I can get five stolen bases now, right? Mm. I can go find that. Whereas, you know, there's a lot of, you know, even last season, you couldn't. You, it was hard to find five stolen bases somewhere, five reliable stolen bases without waiting two months to get them. So, right. so that's another big change. But yeah, streaming stolen bases now a much, much, much easier thing to do. Uh, something that I think everyone should be thinking about to keep themselves competitive in stolen bases. I love that concept because you know we never used to think about streaming uh, stolen bases, uh, and you know I was a little surprised to hear that uh, so many teams are running on the Guardians. I mean, uh, Zanino is is their catch. I know he's missed a little time. I think it uh, looks like up to this point he's played in 26 games. I thought he was a pretty good defensive catcher. 
but uh, a little surprised that they're running so much on him. Yeah, actually, and that's I'm glad you said that because that's actually one of the things to think about. We think about catchers, right? Uh, catchers being the ones who give up tons of stolen bases, and that is true to an extent, right? Like one of the reasons that teams run against the White Sox is because Yasmani Grandal is really bad at stopping them, right? Mm-hmm. And Zunino's actually been, I mean, he hasn't been great, right? 23 stolen bases uh, against him, only five caught stealing, but it's... One of the things that's interesting about it is you also have to think about the pitching staff, right? It's those guys who really impact stolen bases because if they're slow to the plate, right? Catchers can't do anything about it. Pitchers mm-hmm. have a lot more control over stolen bases than catchers in a lot of situations because if you're a pitcher and you're really slow to the plate, if you're Noah Syndergaard, right? There, there's nothing, or, you know, like if you remember John Lester, when he had, uh, he got the yips when he was a cub. And mm-hmm. there was not, I mean, there was nothing his catchers could do. Teams just ran against John Lester because he was already slow to the plate and he was bad at throwing to first. So, mm-hmm. you know, teams just ran against him constantly. Nothing his catcher could do. So that's another thing to kind of keep in mind. Look for, you know, what, what pitchers, what batteries are just giving up lots of the stolen bases, right? You know, and it's, it's really interesting to kind of follow just because again, if you can stream, I mean, this would be a great scenario. I'm not saying you, everyone can do this, but if you can get just one stolen base a week, right? That's about 25 stolen bases to your totals by the end of the season, right? If you look at your last season totals in a Roto league, how many spots do you jump? If you get 25 more stolen bases, right? If you had, Mm -hmm. if you were like seventh in stolen bases last season, you got 25 more. Are you kidding me? Like you'd probably jump to close to the top, right? Even if you can only get one stolen base every two weeks, that's still what 10 to 12 extra stolen bases that moves the needle because stolen bases just there still aren't that many of them from team to team. It's not like 10 is only going to move you up one spot, right? It's not it's mm-hmm. worth more than one roto point. It's probably worth three, four, five roto points. That's where, you know, whenever we talk, you know, mid season and later, we talk about how do you get back up in the standings? We talk about look at the standings, see where there's the most points available for you. Right. Mm. Like just because you're 13th in run score doesn't mean there's a lot of points for you to get. If there's a big chasm between you and the next guy. Right. So you might have to move on. But with stolen bases, it's often like, hey, look, you find five, five more stolen bases than these three guys. You move up three spots. Right. Right. So now that you can reliably sort of look at, okay, who's playing against the Dodgers? Who's playing against the White Sox? Right. Let's let's grab those players. Let's stick them in my lineup and get those extra stolen bases and just steadily climb up. Yeah. Do you like the the, the new rules so far? Um, you know, because I, I was thinking if there was one that I might change, um, I, I, the fact that pitchers could only throw to first base twice, I think it's like certain players it, it's they're automatically going to run. Like you know, I, I obviously, you know, uh, I, I watch a lot of Yankee games and and uh, Anthony Volpe. He's had a little bit of a rough start to his career, but. I noticed that, you know, once a pitcher is thrown to to first base twice, you know, he's going to run. It's like an automatic. And it's also because he has speed and and he's a good base dealer. But uh, other than that, how are these uh, new rules uh, sitting with you? Yeah, that one's interesting because there's like not much I can do about it from a fantasy perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I can't predict when pitchers will use up those two throws. And I think teams are going to continue to get better at using those two throws. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And and not, you know, waiting to use that second one because players like Volpe are just going to wait for you to do it the second time. They're just going to lead off no Mm -hmm. real intention to steal and make you throw back the second time so they can just start running. Yeah. Right. Um, So I think teams are going to get better at adjusting to that. But for the most part, I mean, I'm fine with them. Right. I, Mm -hmm. I like the pace of play. The only problem I have with the pace of play is that if you know, I get caught up in a work meeting and miss the beginning of the day game. I probably missed the whole stupid thing, right? Because the games are only two hours long. And I used to be like, Oh, I'll at least see the seventh inning on. Uh, Now I I missked the whole thing. But other than that, I I like, I like that the games move faster. Sorry, you traditionalists. I I like that they move faster. I like that we have action happening. There might be some tweaking that goes on. The change to the shift doesn't affect me at all. Teams are still using strategy to take away uh, hits to take away runs scored. So that's Mm -hmm. fine. Um, You know, the pitch clock, Team, I mean, players and teams have adjusted to it pretty quickly. Uh, you're not seeing like those, oh my gosh, the whole game was decided because a batter was still putting his gloves on, right? We're, we're just not, we're not seeing that. I need kind of right. wide scale thing. So, uh, so that's pretty good. I mean, I, I dig it. I wish I could use them more for fantasy, but really besides the stolen bases going up because of the rule change, there's not a whole lot to care about for fantasy, right? Nothing, nothing mm-hmm. really changes. Yeah. And you bring up a good point, you know, like uh, 
you know, I would watch, let's say, the first hour or so of, of a game and then maybe do some work around the house or whatnot and say, well, you know, I have another maybe two, two and a half hours, you know, and the game will still be on. But then, you know, if I go back to the game in an hour or so, it, it's like, like the ninth inning already. So, <laughs> but I, like you, I do like the uh, the pace of play. Um, and, you know, it's just the, the game is evolving, you know, and uh, I, I'm liking it. So, um, so what else has been going on in terms of, uh, the, I know we don't talk pitching a lot on this podcast, but, um, have you gotten any of these young arms on your teams? Like they're just going for so uh, much, uh, fab recently, like guys like, uh, Tanner, uh, Bybee, Logan Allen, Gavin Stone, uh, the latest call up, uh, by the Marlins, Yuri Perez. So I'm just curious, like how you've been handling your wave wire and fab. Have you really just. Uh, been diving in with these uh, these recent call ups. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard because I'm I'm not a pitching expert, right? I rely mm-hmm. on the other nerds at this site to do that. But sure. it's you know Fab, especially early in the season, is always a game that's difficult to play because of how you never know when someone's going to throw that four hundred dollar bid or mm-hmm. forty dollar bid if you're in a one hundred dollar league. So it's. I haven't gotten a lot of them. Um, I've gotten more than I thought, mostly by targeting veterans uh, and, you know, good spot starts. Cause I know people are throwing that big fab. I think if you haven't been able to pick those guys up or if you've been burned by them, the way to come back from that is actually coming up right into the summer. Uh, there's going to be, you know, people have used up a lot of that initial fab or they're feeling that, you know, that very human, you know, tw- you know, one, you know, uh, once bitten, twice shy, right? They've already yep, burned. Yep. It's like, oh, I'm not going to go back into it. So what you're going to see is just more and more players who maybe you don't have to be so competitive for, right? And again, look for where the values are in your league. Like, again, most leagues are probably seeing big bids on starting pitching. pitching starting pitching is always, whenever you look at trade blocks this early in the season, they all say the same thing. I'm looking for starting pitching, looking for starting mm-hmm. pitching, looking for starting pitching. So sometimes the way I deal with it too is, yeah, I put out, I put out good bids for them, but I'm not going to go over the top. And then my backup bids are super cheap, right? And I can pick up good streamers or uh, some guys that are maybe picking up some saves or, you know, things like that to just kind of keep my pitching staff in the mix before mm-hmm. I have, you know, and eventually I can pounce, right? Eventually I'm going to win some of these bids, even if I have to get a little more aggressive, but I'm not desperate yet right now. If mm-hmm. you are, that's the time you, no one should be that desperate in May. Uh, but again, you might be dealing with the tons of injuries like you had drafted DeGrom and Rodon and all these other, you know, these other guys that are hurt and Max Scherzer has been struggling. And so you're going to feel a lot of pressure. I'm not saying you can't bid big, but just remember, right? It is still only May. There are mm-hmm. more pitchers who are going to be called up, right? There are more pitchers who are going to get opportunities, not just to get called up, but to stay up. And that's one of the right. issues you have right now by bidding a ton on some of these young guys, just because teams are calling them up doesn't mean they're going to stay. Mm -hmm. And you hate to have $300 in fab go to waste for a guy who's only filling in for those four starts. So really, that's the other thing to really keep an eye on is why is this guy up? Mm -hmm. And is there a spot in the rotation for them to win? Yes. On one hand, anyone who's super, super good will probably win a chance. Right. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you're asking a very young player to play really far above what we expect people to do in their debuts, no matter how good they are. Right. So a lot of those clocks are ticking don't it's it's dumb to just say like oh don't overbid because what does that mean it means keep in mind of what you're actually investing in what is the chance that this player can stay full you know will stay in the rotation full season i get it there's fomo you don't want to be the one that missed out but like Mm -hmm. you know if you want to bid a lot you can bid up without you know without going way over the top right yeah and uh so the one guy that i did get my hands on and and you bring up a great point though though uh that you know, in, when you people are looking for, uh, you know, trades and trade offers and whatnot, and they're saying, I'm looking for pitching. And, and part is because what we talked about uh, to start the podcast is that offense is up, right? And that's that's killing some some starting pitching as well. And, and you mentioned, you know, guys like the Grom and Scherzer uh, struggling. Uh, Justin Berland there missed a chunk of time. And uh, so that that's part of it as well. But uh, the one guy that I really, you know, I, I and you talked about FOMO. Yeah, I, I missed out on Bybee, missed out on Logan Allen. Wasn't really too crazy about Gavin Stone uh, just based on what you said in terms of trying to figure out 
is this pitcher going to stick in the rotation? Well, Bybee and Allen, uh, I believe, will for the Guardians. Uh, and Bryce Miller with uh, Robbie Ray going down for the season. And and I looked at his recent history, you know, uh, looks like there won't be any limitations on the number of innings that, that he pitches. Cause I think he threw like 130 uh, last season in the minor leagues and he's had good control. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that you have to take into consideration uh, when you're making these big bids and, and yeah, I mean, these starting pitchers that are coming up, people are throwing a lot of fab. Okay. So that's enough talk about uh, pitching Scott. So wanted to talk about working uh, the waiver wire and trying to differentiate really between short-term and long-term options. And also, I guess we could talk a little bit about uh, identifying when it's time to say goodbye to a player. And I, I know we're only uh, six weeks into the season and, you know, I, I noticed Nolan Arenado, I think he went four for five the other night, Friday night. And, his OPS went up like 50 points. So, I mean, with, we're still that early in the season, Scott. We're so early. Uh, <laughs> and again, here's the thing. Here's the thing about Nolan Arenado, right? So when you're looking at players like this uh, and you're trying to determine, like, what do I do with them? There will be players who are just enigmas for you, right? I mean, you're going to be talking about Nick Castellanos last season. I have no idea what happened. I still don't know what happened to Nick Castellanos last season. He's doing better now. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I have no idea what happened. So he was a really tough one to deal with. But, you know, we talk about, Nolan Arenado, he he was. He was struggling quite a bit. Uh, his April was just, I mean, it was just awful, right? I mean, there's there's no way getting around it. You drafted him to be one of your solid third basemen. He only hit 239 the entire month. Uh, his He had a WRC plus of 66. He slugged 319. Of course, much better so far in May, right? I mean, he's really turned it around. He's already got three home runs this month. In fact, three home runs really in his last, uh, what is it, four or five games. Uh, mm-hmm. Six. So three home runs his last six games. He's got a triple in that time. He's got a run. He's got runs in RBI almost every single game for the last six games. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's really piling, piling it up quick. I mean, the whole Cardinals team has been really disappointing to start the season. Uh, so that's been weird to kind of deal with. However, Nolan Arenado is the type of player that you just hold on to, right? He started the season off just fine. Then he had a long slump, but he's already coming back. He is the type of player who in two weeks can turn that stat line just about all the way around. Uh, And you know that because he's got a long, I mean, he's someone you have to stick out longer because he's got such a long track record. Last time he played, he's never had a season in the major leagues where he played 140 games and didn't hit 30 home runs, right? That's never happened, right? And sure, there will eventually be a time where it doesn't happen, but I don't think it's this year, right? I think he's going to get Mm. there. You just have to deal with the fact that it may start out slow. And And I know Chad and I talked about this last week. One of the hardest things is seeing, the season long line right now, right? Chad made good points last season. If this had happened in July, no one would really notice, right? We might talk about it real quick. Oh yeah. Nolan Arenado's been in the slump. Yeah, whatever. Season line's still good. We're going to move on. And that's what it's going to, I almost guarantee that's what it's going to be like here in, you know, when we're talking about the season back, you know, in October, or we're talking about Nolan Arenado going into next season draft. We'll be like, yeah, he had a bit of a slow start, but then things turned around and he was normal. Right. Um, <clears throat> I feel pretty good about making that bet. I feel pretty good about knowing that's what's going to happen with Nolan Arenado because that's the type of player he is. The question isn't about the Nolan Arenados of the world, right? Or, you know, some of these other, you know, good players that are slumping early last season, it was Marcus Simeon. His was tough because his slump was really, really bad. Uh, But again, he's the type of player that we've seen does not need to be good every single month to put up numbers, right? Because he's so good that in the other months he can put up amazing numbers. So when you're talking about some of those top guys, and I'll probably say, you know, for batters, a top 50-ish bat, right? Top 30 to top 50 bat, you're still not done. You have to Mm. wait, right? Unless they're gone for like the whole season or something like that. Like even, you know, if you only have two IL spots, it's really hard to hold on to O'Neal Cruz right now. As much as I loved what he was doing to start of the season, as much as I loved, I mean, he's not coming back till August. So Mm -hmm. so that makes sense. But in leagues where, you know, like Nolan Arenado, you're not thinking about it. You maybe mm-hmm. bench him, I guess, or something, but you're not you're not doing any don't do anything uh rash. Just leave him mm-hmm. in. Let him get his stats up for you. Since since we were talking about the Cardinals there, Scott, what the heck is going on over there? <laughs> Several weeks ago you had Marmel, the the manager, uh having an issue with Tyler O'Neill. Uh, O'Neill wasn't hustling and it's something that should have been handled behind closed doors was handled pretty poorly in my opinion. Then all of a sudden Wilson Contreras, right? 
they said uh, that uh, he wasn't going to be catching. He'd be uh, uh, exclusively being used as a DH. Then a week later, now he's back catching again. Uh, what the heck is going on? Nobody knows, right? <laughs> so so they're a really hard team to track right now. Now, things have gotten a little better the last maybe two weeks or so in terms of offense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Lars Newbar has been, you know, much better. Uh, Nolan Arenado, again, over the last two weeks, hitting much better. Uh, you know, Paul Goldschmidt still doing quite well. Uh, they've gotten like a bit of a, you know, a bit of a boost from Paul DeYoung, although we know that's not going to last a very long time. You know, yeah. This team is really tough, especially for fantasy, because some guys that we really wanted to come through for us are not right. So Tyler O'Neill being one, um, he's he's hurt again. He's not performing when he's healthy. He's really tough to deal with. Tommy Edmond. I mean, he's a player that actually, you know, we're talking about players that when do you know to cut him? Tommy mm. Edmond doesn't have any of the things that made him good. Right. So he's batting ninth. Uh, instead of leadoff, uh, he's basically, I mean, it's functionally a platoon, right? So, and he's on the small side of it. So not, he mm-hmm. bats ninth. They're not having him run. What are you holding on to Tommy Edmond for? Right. So like a lot of his value was driven from the fact that he hit first for a good offense and was allowed to run, right? The mm-hmm. offense isn't that good right now. He's not batting first and he's not allowed to run. Right. 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 So, so with Tommy Edmond, he's a player that you can start thinking, especially in a 12 team league, um, and you own, you don't have like the corner infield, the middle infielder and all that, you can let him go. You can let mm-hmm. him go. Uh, you maybe keep him on your watch list if you're a fan, but otherwise there's just not much to look at here. He's not doing anything for you. Uh, you know, another player who I think had a lot of hype coming into the preseason, uh, Brendan Donovan, right? He was a player that he was, he hit some balls hard in the spring. A lot of people were excited about him. He's a little different because he is doing some of the stuff, right? So last two weeks, he is hitting for contact. His walk and strikeout rates are still really good. 375 OBP. The problem is that 393 slug. That doesn't sound too bad. So you remember I said a 375 OBP. So when you see like a 20 point split between an OBP and a slugging, that means they're not hitting for extra bases at all. Right. Donovan mm-hmm. does have one home run the last two weeks, but uh, he doesn't have any really anything else to go with it. He never was going to be a guy who stole bases. He's not someone that can hit 20 home runs in a season. I, I didn't really think so coming into the season. I thought that was his top end potential from what we've seen so far. I don't think that's the case now. So what do you do with Brendan Donovan? Right. So in a deeper points league or something like that, where all that contact matters, and you really need the ratio boost. You can hold on to him. But if you don't need the ratio boost and, you know, you, you need power and counting stats. Brendan Donovan is also the kind of guy you can let go right now. He, mm-hmm. he was a sleeper and there was a lot of hype, but no one ever put him as like a top 50 hitter, right? He wasn't, there wasn't that kind of hype. There was a lot of excitement about him because you could get him late in drafts and because he was really versatile and because he could have this upside and you know, you don't want to judge a player after a month and a half, but at the same time, right? Like it's not looking like that upside still there. So if you're holding on to Brendan Donovan, it's either because you still really believe you see something that I don't. Uh, or it's because those ratios really are something you need. Again, points leagues, he's been a little bit better because you get you get more credit for those singles, right? Singles are worth points. Where in a standard league, a single or even sometimes a double, a double is no different than a single in a five by five league unless it drives in a runner, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, they're the same. Um, so, it, you know, he he is hitting singles and doubles, but he's not, I mean, not that many doubles, but he's not doing anything else. So, Again, he's the type of player, he doesn't contribute much. So if you don't need that one thing, just because Brendan Donovan maybe ought to be owned in a league year, like maybe ought to be rostered in a league year size, doesn't mean got to be you. We talked about this last week too. Just because someone might be good enough to be on a roster, it doesn't have to be your roster. You might not need what that player brings. And Brendan Donovan is a one trick pony, right? He's a ratios guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, another player who I was worried about, who's turning it around pretty well last two weeks in St. Louis, Nolan Gorman. He started the season off really hot big power hitter. He's brought the strikeout rate down. And that's the other thing I look for when I'm talking about, do I need to cut a player? Do I need to end this, you know, end this experiment? It's what about, you know, the first place to go for pitching, hitting everything, walk and strikeout rates, right? That's what you're looking for with Nolan Gorman. You know, that strikeout rate last two weeks, it's 29 plate appearances. It's down to 13.8. So he's still playing most games. He sat like twice in that span. So that's a good sign. He's playing right? He's still hitting near the middle of the lineup and he's fixing the contact problem, right? You're seeing the strikeout rate come down. The reason I worried about Gorman is because there was a two week stretch where the strikeout rate started going way up, right? So he needs to be, you know, he's the type of player who you certainly can roster. You, we know the batting average and the OBP are not going to be great, right? A little better for OBP, I guess, but neither one will be good, but you know that he's got power. And as long as he's not striking out more than like 28 to 30% of the time, he should be able to stick in that lineup. So 
again, he's a player that I can keep because I'm seeing good signs with the strikeout rate. It's coming back down. I'm watching that rolling chart. I'm seeing, look, is he peaking or doing something he's not done before? Or, you know, is this just another spot? You know, he, you know, Nolan Gorman's strikeout rate is a bit volatile, right? Because he's a free swinger and sometimes he's locked in. So he and we do that right down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, so, he was a free swinger when he was in the minor leagues. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, Again, rolling charts, one tool we use to make sure to, to kind of tell like, hey, is this player doing something new? Like, is this is this slump a normal slump for this player or is this something different? Uh, and so, yeah, for him, his strikeout rate, it's it's looking pretty good right now. This is kind of what he looks like when he's heating up. Absolutely can hold on to him. But again, you know, the, the guys like Tyler O'Neill, Tommy Edmond, Tyler O'Neill was a top 50 hitter coming into the season. He's got issues with his manager. He's got injury issues. I think in three outfield leagues, he can go because mm. the replacement level in those are so deep, right? That you don't need to be holding on to this kind of player. 15 teamer, mm -hmm. you might have to wait because how many players with top 50 upside will ever be on the wide? Another thing for, you know, with Tyler O'Neill is we know what the upside looks like because he showed it to us a bit last season. He showed it to us in other seasons in the past. We've seen like really, really, really explosive moments where he can really carry a team. So not that many players like that are on the wire in say an NFBC league, or, you know, I'm in 15 teams out and, you know, I finally fell out of first place, which is sad. I was going to say, uh, I saw you were in first place for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the last, uh, I'm down a little bit. I've had some injuries, whatever, but in that league, Taylor players of Tyler O'Neill's caliber just don't end up on the wire. Part of it is because mm. there's unlimited IL spots. So that really kind of shrinks the pool a lot. You don't see those players right. hit, you know, hit the wire, but also because, those folks know that Tyler O'Neill has the upside to be worth stashing on a bench, right? Mm. Um, other quirks about that league are where if you pick someone up, you have to start them for that week. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like there's not always players to pick up that you want to start right away. You're not doing a lot of speculative ads. So mm. that's another thing that happens there. But you, like he's the kind of player you can hold on to. Uh, but again, that's in like 15-team league, four or five outfielder. In the 12-team, mm. three outfield, absolutely gone 12 team five outfield oh, i'm yes. probably thinking like do I, you know if i have unlimited il a very deep il i'm like all right well he can sit there for a while because that doesn't hurt my team but the mm -hmm. moment he comes up and i'm not sure he's playing full-time you cannot uh, there's a single roster in a 12 team league be it five outfield three outfield whatever there is room on that team for maybe one hitter who is not full-time if you mm -hmm. have really deep benches maybe two you cannot hold more players who don't play full time in that format because those should turn be instead turned into like streaming pitchers, things that you can burn and churn, right? You can't just hold guys who don't play against lefties or guys who don't play, against, especially guys who don't play against righties, right? You just can't hold them. So again, a lot of things go into that calculus, but you know, you got to try to balance what's the upside if this guy, you know, turns it around. Am I seeing any signs of that right now? Right. How much have I seen him do it in the past? Right. Uh, I mean, that's kind of like the thing about that we were talking about with Nolan Arenado. We've mm -hmm. seen him be good so, so often. Right. Now, on the flip side, a player we talked about last week, Jose Abreu, no signs of life, same problems as he had last season, but worse mm -hmm. in league, 12 team leagues where even if you have a corner infield, what are you waiting for? What are you hoping is going to happen? Because now it's been two seasons since we've seen the power. Right. And mm -hmm. there's no signs of the contacts getting better. What are you waiting for? A guy who's like a fringe top 10 first baseman as upside? That's not upside, right? Not in a 12-teamer. It's like, oh, maybe he's good enough to be a back-end starter. Get that out of here. I'll stream that. I can stream that quality all day long. Mm -hmm. So let's switch gears slightly with two players that have been slumping. One of them is really coming out of it. And I know that, you know, you, you've been very high on him and, and you should be. Juan Soto. Right. And I, I saw you tweeted out about him recently, too. Um, but Juan Soto and Julio Rodriguez, two guys that were going in the first round in preseason drafts that we did just a month and a half ago. So uh, you look at Soto, he's been striking out a little bit more than usual, uh, starting to hit the long ball again. We're recording this on Sunday, the 14th of May. He hit a home run yesterday. But overall power numbers are down. Uh, but for the past couple of weeks, he's batting over 400. But when you look at the last year, his last 159 games, Scott, he has 26 home runs and 71 RBI batting 242. And I don't want to really say that Anthony Santander 
is as good as Juan Soto, but you take a look at what Anthony Santander's been doing for the past year. 35 home runs, 96 RBI, also a, a, a 240, 245 batting average. So what are we thinking about Soto? Obviously, obviously, you're not going to drop him and you're not going to sit him. But this has been going on now for about a year, and it looks like he's snapping out of it right now. But how concerned are you about what's been going on with Soto? And then we could talk about Julio Rodriguez. The ceiling for Juan Soto is the same as it was. Two years ago, the same as it was three years ago, the same as it was really ever since we saw him for a full season, right? The ceiling hasn't changed. It's the floor that's changed. So that does change the calculus of like maybe what you bid or value a player, uh, especially an elite one like this. Like Juan Soto has elite decision, like elite decision-making ability at the plate. Uh, Now, what you did mention, I tweeted, I actually tweeted it right as we started recording this episode. It's that Mm -hmm. he's not making contact this season the way he has in seasons past, which is a little bit worrisome for a guy who doesn't swing that much to begin with. You want him to make contact when he does swing because he's not usually making that decision. But, you know, again, the last two weeks, the, the power is, I mean, the power, which is really something we are missing, that's all there. Right. So again, it's only two weeks, but again, it's an amazing two weeks. The type of two mm-hmm. weeks that guys like Juan Soto can have, you got to yes. hold. I think if you're doing anything, you're taking that value you had for him in your mind and you're adding in the fact that the floor is a little bit lower than we thought. Right. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, you know, we've seen that he's still basically Superman, but now we know about the kryptonite, right? We know that he can go through stretches now where he's still getting on base. Uh, he's still not striking out. We're just, we just don't see the power. We don't see the good contact, right? Mm-hmm. We now know that can fade a bit. It, it looked like that could never happen. And now we know that it can happen. And that's really all I'm seeing in Juan Soto is we see some dips, but so many of the skills stay intact that it's hard to really do anything about it, except maybe be like, okay, I value, I used to value him as a $42 player. Yeah, let's make it 40 Right. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're doing anything, that's all you're doing. You might not even be doing that. So that's the thing with him. Now, Julio Rodriguez, again, type of player who in a single month can almost do a whole season's worth of value, right? I mean, he is that kind of explosive player. Uh, he is, you know, he's like that Ronald Acuna effect who right now, I mean, he moved to number one on the hitter list because he's healthy and he's the best hitter in baseball. When he's healthy, he's the best hitter in baseball. Julio Rodriguez is healthy. He's not the best hitter in baseball right now. The thing I notice, uh, and if you are a PL Plus member, you can now look at our rolling charts on our hitter abilities. And we've got some really cool ones. They're all set up by Kyle Bland. And it's the rolling charts that were all over my preseason ranks that I talked about all offseason. It's things like, and I was just talking about Juan Soto, I'm talking about contactability for Julio Rodriguez. What we saw at the start of last season, especially when Julio Rodriguez started a bit slow, what we saw was that his contactability stayed down. And then as the season progressed, it spiked way up. It was awesome. We saw Julio Rodriguez making all kind of contact, right? Which was amazing. And to start this season, we actually did see that. Julio Rodriguez making tons of contact. It was really good. It has really fallen over the last, uh, you know, hundred or so swings. It's not looked good. The the contact ability just isn't there right now. And with that, it's hard for him to make his own luck. Is he still hitting the ball hard? Absolutely. Right. He's still well above average in terms of hitting the ball hard, but when he's not making contact the way the way we, that we would expect, I start getting a little worried again. Is this just a regular slump? Probably. Right. So what am I looking at in, you know, if is, how do I know if it's a regular slump? Well, one of the first things I'm at, and I'm actually doing it right now, as I'm talking, first thing I'm going to do is look at his decision value, right? Like, is he pressing at the plate? Now, Julio Rodriguez was never that good at making decisions. He is not Juan Soto. Juan Soto is above the 90th percentile in decision-making all the time. It never goes below that. He is always the best in the league. Even when he slumps in terms of decision value, he's always the best. Julio Rodriguez is not. Julio Rodriguez can really drop. Now, it's getting better as we're advancing, so that gives me some hope. But it's still well below league average right now for decision value on Julio Rodriguez. The thing about it, though, I can say all of that and also tell you don't do anything. You can't do anything. You can't bench him because Julio Rodriguez is the type of player who we can say, hey, did you see Julio Rodriguez last night? He had two home runs and two stolen bases, mm-hmm. right? Um that I mean, he still has seven home runs and seven stolen bases. So, I mean, that's a plus. The strikeouts are up, but we also saw them up last year, and they did eventually come back down. Uh, I think that that can probably happen for him. I mean, just against my Tigers the other night, he did have a three-hit night, one home run, four RBI, so that was a plus. Uh, the home runs are still staying relatively steady. 
Uh, he's still stealing, stealing some bases. The one weird thing, and the only other takeaway I'll have for Julio Rodriguez, because there's only so much advice I can give you about a player that I also tell you you shouldn't do anything about, right? right. <laughs> you don't don't trade him. Don't do. In fact, if anything, I should tell you not to trade him if you roster him, because that's the classic sell low. Just don't, mm-hmm. right? It's not going to do any good. Um, the the biggest, the weirdest thing is that for the last three games, he hasn't hit first. They've taken him out of the leadoff spot. Now they'll right. do that when your OBP is below 300, but they moved him to sixth and then third and then fourth. So he's still in the middle of the lineup. So that I wanted to talk about the fact that when you see players move in the lineup, that's either a very good or very bad sign, right? We saw Tommy Edmond drop to ninth in the batting order pretty much all the time. Now that's something you got to take action with because you're hoping those stats will come back, but now he's getting one less at bat a game basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how, it's going to be harder for him to come back. With Julio Rodriguez, yeah, he falls out of the leadoff spot, but he's still in the heart of the order, right? So uh, that's much less concerning, right? If anything, it'll just turn runs into RBI, right? So mm. what would have maybe been a run scored before, now more likely to be an RBI because he hits a little later in the lineup. So that's a plus, right? The guys that he's driving in aren't from the bottom of the lineup. They're from the top. So that's a plus, right? Relatively neutral move. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about a guy who moves from first to third, first to fourth, so when I when we talk about what should you do about him, obviously nothing. He's a superstar player. How much should I be worried? Well, his team's still willing to let him back clean up. The mm-hmm. the Mariners aren't dropping him way down in the order. It's not it's not like he's at providing absolutely no value. It's again something to keep an eye on. Something again though that we'll probably talk about. We'll say, oh, in a month and a half, he only had seven home runs and seven stolen bases. He's still he's still well on pace to clear twenty five home runs, twenty five stolen bases. Batting average might be a little lower than it was last year, but we already kind of thought that might happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the last thing I will say is. The other thing that I am looking at is, you know, some of those X stats, those expected stats are going to give us an idea of like, you know, what's, is there something going on that, you know, is he been really unlucky and guess what? Yes. Right. Yeah. The hard hit rate is down from 50.7% to 45.8%, but that's not a drop. The barrel rates down by 2%. That's not meaningful. Right. What we're seeing though, is that his expected stats are on par with what they were last season. Right. Uh, he's pulling the ball a little less. And I'd like to see him get back to pulling the ball because that's where some of that power is going to come from. He's turned yep. those into opposite way. I think that'll fix itself. Right. Um, it's just sort Talking of goes a hard time that... catching up to fastballs, too. You, yeah. You look at and that's 208 against fastballs. That's that's shocking to see. That's going to change. Against. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to change. He's the type of player that can make that adjustment. Players constantly have to make adjustments. I think if, if there's something I want a young player to have to you know, make an adjustment against it's fastballs, right? Mm-hmm. Easier to make adjustments against fastballs than it is like sliders, right? When you see a mm-hmm. player's weakness is sliders, that's because sliders are hard to hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. really hard to make up fastballs. It's a little different. Uh, and again, the expected batting average, the expected slugging, um, they're on par with last season, right? Mm-hmm. Almost the same. You know, really, I mean, within 10 points of each other on the batting average and within one point on expected slugging. So also the type of thing where we're saying like, look, there's no skill degradation here. There's no, I mean, yeah, the contact ability is down, but that doesn't mean he's bad. It just means, yep, he is slumping and that's where the slumping is happening. He's not making the type of contact that he wants. And you know that because he's hitting a bunch of balls the other way, there's value in hitting the balls the other way. But when you're Juan Soto or sorry, when you're Julio Rodriguez, you want to be hitting more balls to the pole field. That's how he was successful in the minors. That's how he was successful in the majors last year. It's off by about 10% that were pole that are now push. I think he can make that flip. I think that everything else will kind of work itself out. You saw that, you know, you know, the bad slow, you know, the X stats are saying that he's hitting the ball at a similar quality as last season. It'll get there. Mm-hmm. All right. Why don't we take a quick break? And when we come back, we'll talk about some uh, players that are uh, being watched and being added in uh, leagues recently. I want to get uh, Scott's take on whether or not they're good long-term or short-term options we'll be back right after this and we're back on hacks and jacks fantasy baseball podcast joe galena and scott chu back together again uh wanted to talk about some players scott that have uh gotten some traction uh they're being watched uh, they're trending upward they're being added in leagues first guy i'll talk about is alex kirilov uh, for the Minnesota Twins. And, and by the way, with the Twins, were you uh, surprised about them uh, sending Jose Miranda uh, down to the minor leagues? I know he has a real good hit tool, but he's been slumping this season. Defense is shaky, but uh, 
Were you surprised that month and a half into the season, the Twins decided to send them down? It's a classic example of how defensive value impacts fantasy. Because if Jose Miranda was a good defender, a plus defender, he stays up. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I think it's it's that simple because they're willing, you know, teams are willing to go through slumps when players are still good on the defensive side. Right? It's but when you're not good defensively and you're not hitting, right? He he gets sent down. Now, was it a surprise? Maybe a little because I thought Jose Miranda was good enough to not get sent back down, but he was slumping terribly. His upside was really limited in the sense that like 20 home runs was probably the ceiling for Jose Miranda. He was supposed Mm -hmm. to be like a Ty France-ish type of player who is rebounding from his own slump, but he's supposed to be the type of player that was a bit versatile and that could also, you know, hit hit for a good average, make a lot of contact, pile up stats in the middle of a decent lineup. That's what he's supposed to be, and he wasn't, right? And he's not a good enough defender to stick around. So down he goes. Again, I think just the big takeaway is when a guy is a hitter only, not a good fielder, uh, these slumps can be a lot more impactful. And it's funny that they did it because the advice I would have given someone in fantasy is, should I cut Jose Miranda? Yeah, maybe, right? 12-team league, sure, go ahead, drop him. 15-team league, now you definitely have to drop him because a lot of times you can't afford to roster these guys who are back down in the minors. But it, it was kind of that time, right? He's His upside is not high enough for that team to just hold and let him work through it entirely. They held for a while, but the upside's limited. And so they said, look, we got to give another guy a shot. Mm-hmm. especially with the return of uh, Jorge Polanco, who's not hitting great to come back, but is a pretty decent defender, is a guy who uh, has shown a lot more than Jose Miranda has. He'll stick around even if he slumps. Yep. Uh, what about Alex Kirilov? Uh, a big-time prospect for them. has uh, been uh, a bit injury-prone recently, but uh, minor league 322 average over six minor league se- seasons, playing first base outfield, uh, tearing the cover off the ball right now, but it's only seven games. They had a couple of home runs on Saturday. Do you look at him as a, a long-term option in fantasy? You know, I do. I, I talked a little bit about Kirilov coming uh, into the offseason. We saw some skills really start stepping up. Again, injuries have really limited his ability to keep playing in the majors. Uh, this, th- this Twins team actually, you know, Brent Rooker, who continues to be one of the hottest hitters in baseball, uh, a, a big story. They traded Rooker to the A's because they had Larnick and Kirilov already. And yeah. before this season, those three guys were all fighting for the same role. They're all sort of like plotting corner outfield types, maybe first base. Like Kirilov could play some first base. Uh, the other two don't really. So they were they were these corner guys. Uh, but Kirilov was actually by far the most well-regarded of all of them as a prospect. Because mm-hmm. he does have a really good hit tool, uh, he didn't have. He doesn't have like the thirty home run power of Rooker or anything like that. But overall, they you know we felt that the talent package was was better, right? He had much safer floor, even if the ceiling wasn't the same. He's never going to be a guy that strikes out thirty percent. He might not even strike out twenty five percent of the time, right? Current currently, we've seen him for four hundred nine plate appearances in the majors, twenty two point two percent strikeout rate. That sounds about right. The walk rate's been a little low. I think that can get better. Uh, It's been very league average uh, over the course of his major league career and really his minor league career as well. Walking a ton to start right now. Um, Now, again, it's only 22 plate appearances this season, but he also was walking more in his 10 games down in AAA uh, before they brought him back up. He was hitting the ball well. Again, this is not a guy who's going to hit more than 20 to 25 home runs in a good season, but the mm-hmm. ratio should be pretty darn good. And I, he can accumulate stats, you know, in, in the corners for them. Again, another reason why Jose Miranda goes down is because they'll call up another guy who can hit. Kirilov's not a great fielder either, but he is someone who can uh, make some contact and, and do some things, especially when the guy you were asking to do that, Jose Miranda, isn't doing it. So Kirilov is someone I think I'd be adding uh, if I have any need for a corner infield or an outfielder, uh, I believe you can still start him in both places. And he's he's well worth it. I think there's some definite upside there. But if we do see these prolonged slumps, they won't look like strikeouts. So what you're looking for with Kirilov is can he start hitting for some power? Is the Can he keep the strikeout rate below 20%, which is something I do think he can do in the major leagues? And if he's slumping, it's because he's making a lot of weak contact. You'll see terrible ratios, even though the plate discipline looks the same. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the sign. Like if he goes back to hitting like a ton of ground balls or something, uh, which is something he's been prone to in the past, uh, that's kind of what you're looking for. 
Casey Schmidt only has five games to his credit, but he is, he's batting five fifty, couple of home runs. Uh, another guy who had a good uh, minor league pedigree in three minor league seasons has a two eighty three. 349, 453, triple slash. Uh, 2022 season, he started hitting some home runs in the minor leagues, had 21 homers and 78 RBI. Been playing uh, shortstop for the Giants with Brandon Crawford uh, on the IL. I think he's a natural third baseman, but uh, what do you think about long-term for Casey Schmidt? Uh, Do you think that when Crawford comes back, that uh, he's going to lose some, that Schmidt is going to lose some at-bats. I mean, because J.D. Davis has been playing a, a, a decent third base for them and been producing uh, offensively as well. So what do you think about long-term for Casey Schmidt? I think long-term, it might look more like a platoon, right? Mm-hmm. So Schmidt is right-handed. The open spots uh, in this lineup are all kind of four right-handed players, right? So right now they have Jock Peterson at DH, but he's been platooning. Uh, Schmidt could find some time there because I think Brandon Crawford, when he comes back, is going to play. So uh, maybe it's a platoon there and they kind of move some guys around. There's several lefties in this lineup. They, they can shuffle pieces around. Uh, it's cool that he's that he's hitting well right now, but I don't expect a ton of power from him. Um, you know, Maybe if he played a full season, we could see like 20, uh, probably like 15 to 20 home runs. Um, he didn't show a lot of power this season in his minor league uh, debut, just the one home run. A 410 slug with a 352 OBP tells you that most of that slugging is just from sing, uh, singles and walks. So hard to uh, really just singles. Hard to say that he's you know going to be a big impact player, but you can stream him in your infield if you need a guy. You know, you just lost Nico Horner. You need someone to fill some time. That's what he's for. Mm-hmm. How about the Cubbies? Uh, we talked uh, about Christopher Morell in our little chat before the podcast. Uh, off to a hot start, but a guy that has always uh, had issues with strikeouts. What do you think about him long-term? I mean, they just called up Matt Mervis, who's really having a hard time. You wonder how long he's going to uh, stay up. But uh, do you think that Morell, uh, think he's up for good? Or is uh, you know how long of a leash are they going to have on Christopher Morell? And for that matter, uh, Matt Mervis. Yeah, Morell had hype in the in the preseason. If you remember, I was not high on him, and the reason for that is because of the strikeouts. Right, the strikeouts get really untenable. He was one of the best hitters in the minor leagues by WRC plus. He had eleven home runs in twenty nine games. Also stole four bases, but also struck out thirty point six of the time, six points percent of the time in AAA. Right, a thirty percent strikeout rate in AAA when it comes to the majors is generally over a period of time, just going to be not playable. So I I don't think there's anything really different about Morel. Morel is a, uh, he's defensively versatile. It was very convenient for him that he was hitting hot and Nico Horner gets hurt. He had been, you know, Horner had been slumping a little bit too. uh, But, you know, he's coming in to play second base because that's the position that's open when Horner is available again. I'm not convinced there's a whole lot of room for Morel. Right, so Morell's main path to playing time coming into the season was taking over for Patrick Wisdom. Patrick Wisdom started the season hot. He's slumping a little because that's just what he does. He's a extreme, you know, he's an he's a power hitter and he's that very classic free swinging slugger. Strikes out a ton. Um, I I personally don't think there's much room for Morell other than as a uh, super utility guy filling in at second, short, and third for Wisdom Swanson occasionally, Horner occasionally not a ton of playing time there. And man, the floor is so low. Yes, there is power and speed upside here. Again, full season. This is a guy who could be a 20 to 25 home run, maybe 20 stolen base kind of player, right? He'll just never get a full season because he's so bad at making contact. Uh, the strikeouts are just really hard for any major league team to stomach. It's it's tough to strike out 30% of the time. And for your team to still think you're valuable, right? Yeah, he yeah. just makes so little contact. The walk rates are, you know, in the majors have been, average to slightly above average and he would need to really jump that walk rate above 10 percent for teams to even thinking about letting him play full-time i don't see it happening i think he's a streamer because while he's hot he'll give you some pop and speed uh and once the strikeouts start coming in bunches which they already are uh Mm. but once they once the strikeouts start coming in bunches without the hits it's it's all over Mm. and what do you think about matt mervis how long do you think that they're uh gonna give him uh before i mean the guy he's only Played in seven games, but uh, 43% uh, strikeout rate. Um, You know, if you just look at the stats, he just seems overmatched, uh, you know, in the early goings. 
Yeah, he does. And the one advantage I think that he has uh, over maybe Christopher Morrell is that with Mervis, his competition is Eric Hosmer, right? Mm. Um, Now it stinks that they're both left-handed because that means you can't really platoon them. But the team is a lot more interested in what Mervis can do than Eric Hosmer. Hosmer is just a contract they've kind of picked up to maybe fill some time. Um, I guess Trey Mancini could move there too. He's right-handed, so that'd be a platoon opportunity. Mervis was hitting uh, really well in the minors, uh, just as good as Christopher Morrell, really, um, just about. So I I think, obviously, Mervis is a much better long-term asset. He's never had strikeout problems in the minor leagues so it's really just the major leagues that it's been a problem and and let's be clear it is a problem he struck out at least once every game he struck out more than once in four of his eight appearances uh so so that's a problem right uh he's only got the two walks i think this team is going to let him get to about 50 ish plate appearances before which is about 20 more than he's got now to see if there's any kind of improvement in the strikeout rate. I do though, think that they will be quick to drop him back to the minor leagues. Again, obvious hold in dynasty, maybe even in keeper. He was really good last season in the minor leagues uh, started out this season, really strong, lots of good track record at triple a, which is what I like to see. I like to see that track record, not just in double a, but also triple a uh, just more exposure to high level pitching. That's what you want to see. So the strikeouts right now are really scary. A player who didn't strike out in the, minors much and who's now striking out a ton of the majors that generally suggests to me that he might be having a hard time uh i haven't looked into it it's often with breaking balls but it's something that made you know major league pitchers can do things minor leaguers can't that's why they're in the majors and not the minors more major league pitchers they have multiple pitches they can beat you with a lot of minor league guys have one maybe two major leaguers often have two maybe three uh that they can beat you with that might be hard for him to adjust to Long term, I think there's definitely something there. Uh, 15 team leagues, you know, you, you, he should be rostered, maybe hold, maybe on your bench. But in 12 team leagues, it is more of a wait and see, especially because he could go back down pretty quickly. Yeah. Last player we'll talk about, Dominic Fletcher, uh, carving out some uh, regular playing time in the Arizona Diamondback outfield. Do we think that he could be a long term? option or a short-term option i mean he's really tearing the cover off the ball and uh minor league uh, numbers are equally impressive in four minor league uh, seasons 298 362 474 triple slash with an 836 uh, ops and uh, so far in 12 games in the major leagues holding his own uh, only striking out 14 percent of the time what are we thinking about uh Dominic Fletcher and his long-term viability as a fantasy player. I mean, let's just talk about the fact that for the last three games, he's been unstoppable, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, He's got eight hits over his last three games, two home runs, a double and a triple uh, 11 RBI over his last three. He's, Mm. he's been unstoppable, right? Uh, And the reason I want to open that is because I don't have a lot of other nice things to say. This, this is really hard to believe in uh, with, I mean, he was batting at the bottom of this lineup. Uh, this, this team has good outfield options all over the place. Uh, they they have several guys that uh, have just more upside than him long-term. Alec Thomas still has more upside long-term than Dominic Fletcher. He's also a lefty. This team has other lefties that fill up a lot of these roles, right? Mm-hmm. Pavin Smith's their current DH right now. He's a lefty. Uh, there's, there's just not, there's not as much room, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Corbin Carroll's already definitely taking away one of those spots. Equally hot, Lord Scurriel Jr. playing left field. He they're not. He's not giving up his spot. So yeah, Dominic he's... Fletcher, I think the moment he cools down, it's over. And, and this team doesn't necessarily show a lot of loyalty to guys who cool down. This right field spot's open. You know why? Because they gave up on Jake McCarthy, who was mm-hmm. as good or better than Fletcher for longer, right? Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. He, you know, and they sent him right down because he wasn't performing. I mean. Again, I, I hate using Babbitt because it's a really limited stat, but the dude's Babbitt is over 500. Yes, some yeah. of that is because he's hitting the ball pretty hard, but the expected the expected stats show you that he's been a pretty good hitter. You know, the expected batting average of 299, expected slugging of 441. That's pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's pretty good, but it's nothing like what we're seeing, right? Um, so, you know, when those things start to kind of settle down, when other pitchers start caring about him and maybe a you know, coming up with approaches for him. I think, you know, I hope that he can be a player that's sort of worth being on the back end of your, your roster, but there's not a ton of pop here. 
right? Um, the he's, most he, home runs he, he sounds has. like a streamer, right? I mean, at this stage. Yeah, I mean, last oh, season he was, he was real, yeah, real good in the minor leagues last season, right? But in 133 games, it was still only 12 home runs. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And it was less than 10 stolen bases. And they had the rules back then. The minor leagues are terrible at stopping base runners. So this is a guy who like, you know, what's the reasonable projected ceiling for him? Even if he plays the whole season, what is it? 15 home runs and mm. a handful of stolen bases. Like, what, what, eh, eh, yeah. meh, right? he's okay. not going to, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe he gives you some good ratios, but that there's tons of guys like this. There's tons mm-hmm. of guys who can do that. And so I don't necessarily care about this one, especially when he's only outfield eligible. Gotcha. All right. So, uh, Scott, it's great uh, being able to talk baseball with you once again. Sounds like that uh, you've got some uh, some uh, babysitting to do right now, right? Yeah, yeah. My daughter is uh, is notoriously fussy exactly when I want to be doing something else. She's uh, actually great most of the time, unless I, like, I have another thing I have to do. Like the moment I start doing she, dishes, starts yeah. going nuts. She needs your attention. There you go. So uh, congratulations on the new additions to your family. Like I said, great uh, recording another episode. It's been a while, but uh, uh, the hitter list is going to come out this week, right? When does it come out? Wednesdays, I believe. Yep, it'll come out Wednesday. Uh, Hopefully it's normal time. It was a little late last week, but it'll be out. And, uh, you know, hopefully we have a little bit more mixing up. I made some big mix-ups last time, and I think it's just going to keep happening. But don't expect Dominic Fletcher to appear. Ah, okay. Follow my man Scott at If the Chew Fits. Follow me at Joe Galina. Uh, we'll be back with another episode next week. Or well, hopefully, all of your fantasies become realities. And we'll see you next time.